So if you have a Bible, please turn to 1 Corinthians. We're working our way through the book of 1 Corinthians. If you're just joining us, we've said that uh, 1 Corinthians is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to Christians in the city of Corinth. And so it's in the New Testament. That means it's after the resurrection of Jesus. And Paul is telling these new Christians in the city of Corinth, uh, giving them advice on how to follow Jesus in a world that is, is far from the teachings of Jesus. And so there's something for all of us. Now, a few weeks ago, we started chapter 3, where Paul begins to work through several metaphors, um, comparing us to different tangible, touchable things so that we understand what it means to be followers of Jesus. And he starts off saying, as a follower of Jesus, you're like a baby. And like a baby, you should have rapid growth. As you intake and are active in your faith, you should have rapid growth. And he says, we're like a field and there are there's waterings and, you know, planting and there should be growth and a harvest. And we should be a part of that with the people around us uh, working in them uh, to bring the kind of results that God has brought to our life. Last week, we said, Paul says, we're like a building and we're building on the foundation of Jesus in our life. And we can use materials that will last through the fires of life, or we can use cheap materials that are quickly burn up whenever there's troubles in life, and we have to choose what kind of building that we're going to build for God. We're going to move on to the fourth and final metaphor today, and it's by far the most powerful, meaningful metaphor, especially in an ancient culture. So if you have a Bible, please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Give you a minute to get there. I can't remember whether this is my water or not. There's ice in it, so that's a good sign. Um, it's on page 794 if you have one of these Bibles. Uh, verse 16. <coughs> Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person, for God's temple is sacred, and you, together, are God's temple. So the metaphor, you are God's temple. Now, it's so important that he repeats it one page later. On, uh, in verse, in in chapter 6, verse 19, it's on the next page. Do you not know, verse 19, do you not know that your bodies, pay attention there because we're going to talk about that in a minute, that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God. You are not your own. You are bought at a price. So let's camp out there for a minute. There are a few concepts in those two passages that I think are very important for us today uh, to get a better grasp on because it's not how we tend to think. Now, I talk about this a lot, the difference between ancient Eastern and modern Western, especially this American culture. It's going to come into play here. So Paul says, you are the temple. And if you look to the Greek language that this was originally written in, it becomes very clear that when he says you, like so in English, we we have distinctive 
I, we, our, you. And you kind of know what we're talking about. In, in, in the Greek, uh, this translation gets a little difficult because it doesn't necessarily gel well with how we think. So the you here is plural. So what Paul is really doing is he's saying you, he's talking to the, the, the Corinthian Christians, or in our case, the Brunswick meeting of Christians. He's saying you are the temple. Now that translation in chapter 3 is pretty good. He says you together are the temple, which isn't necessarily how we think about how a group of people could be seen as one structure. But God says somehow supernaturally, we together in this room are one structure. But then when you look at at, at chapter 6, the translators, who are smarter than me, say, your bodies are temples. But that's not the original Greek. What they're doing is they're making that American leap. That's why uh, we tend to, if you've been around church culture, uh, you hear it, uh, my body is a temple, is singular, but, but the actual Greek there is, is singular with temple and plural with you. So it doesn't translate your bodies are temples. It's your body is a temple. So he's saying you together, your body is a temple. So his larger point here is that we need to understand that as a church, we are not only family, but God looks to us as a temple. So as individuals, somehow supernaturally, we are one. In America today, there's a lot of emphasis placed on individualism. And I don't know that that's a good or a bad thing. It's just a thing. We're encouraged to think of ourselves and who we want to be and who we are individually. But not too long ago, you could read uh, literature from the 1700s. And I was just reading this past week language like, I am a member of my family, my clan, my tribe, and my country. Apart from that, there is no I. Now, we don't think like that. At least I don't. I mean, I'm an only child. You guys know that. And, and I notice... I've said, I notice the only child thinking, which is highly individual. I mean, this world is all about me, and it's all for me. And I don't even know if you exist when you're not in my view. (laughs) Television shows don't continue to show when I'm not watching them. Um, But what we see here from Paul is this call to move away from individualistic thinking and to own our identity as one made of many. Okay, we're like Voltron. You guys remember Voltron? Who remembers Voltron? Let me s- let's see. Okay, good, good. That's that who do, who has no idea what Voltron is. Okay, th- there's there's an age range there that you'll know. So Voltron were these mechanical animals that went together to make one big thing. I had the plastic kind growing up because I wasn't allowed to play with metal. Um but uh, so so We see this in the teaching of Jesus as well, this idea of having a corporate identity. So turn with me to Luke chapter 11. And again, this is is nothing new because what we really need is to be reminded much more than to be instructed. I mean, this, this spiritual stuff all makes a lot of sense. 
and tends to resonate deep down. Uh, chapter 11, it's on page 725 of, of Luke. <coughs> Verse 1. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. So this is John the Baptist. Jesus, They're asking Jesus, give us our own little prayer, because if you followed a rabbi, you probably had a unique prayer that you would get away and pray by yourself four or five times a day. John the the Baptist disciples had their own prayer, and they're asking, hey, Jesus, give us a prayer to pray. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Now notice, uh, one of the unique pieces of this prayer is that Jesus told his disciples, when you pray, get away. Go off by yourself. Hide even. Avoid praying to be seen on the street corners. You go do your thing by yourself. But notice that the language he gives them is us, our, we. So you're by yourself praying as a group, which seems to make no sense except when you understand that God sees us together as one and what if this is so supernatural and 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 so complete that we're even one when we're alone in our house so not too long ago i don't know a year or two ago i was with my small group um and and we were working through some of this stuff and and decided you know what if followers of jesus if jesus tells his followers Pray this prayer a few times a day. We should too. So, so we did what they did back then. We put it, reminders in our phones uh, to, to tell us, you know, morning, afternoon, evening, phone would ding and we would pray the Lord's Prayer wherever we were. And one of the things that I noticed after a month of this that surprised me is how much closer I felt to my group. And I think it was because three times a day when I started to pray. Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The kingdom come will be done. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not in temptation. Deliver us from evil. And I'm praying in this language of us and we and thinking about the followers of Jesus that I live my life with. And, and, and it just brought me a, a greater sense of oneness. And I think it's because that's the way God designed it. He's telling us that, you know, supernaturally, uh, even though there are many people in here today, we are very much in God's eyes one. Now, there's language in the church today that reflects our American culture, the idea of our personal Lord and Savior. But that's not real. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. It's just not biblical language. Uh, and I know that part of the reason we say personal Lord and Savior is because there, there's a personal relationship with God that should be a part of your life. But it takes away somewhat the, the idea of the communal Lord and Savior because we are one and Jesus is our collective Lord and Savior. So we really need to be careful uh, to not individualize our walk with God too much because there's a huge communal piece. 
Let me talk for a minute about church attendance. I don't know if I've ever <coughs> spent time on the importance of church attendance. I suppose that I have. Um, but it's a big deal. In a spiritual truth that says, and I don't have anybody in mind, and I mean that, um, in a spiritual truth that says, we are one. It makes the time that we meet together very important, right? I mean, your choice as to whether or not to come and be one with us, as God says we are one, it matters. Whether we think it does or not, it matters because not only is this a family, and and you're as much a part of this family as you want to be, But in God's eyes, we are one, and so the decisions about coming together, they matter. Look look at Hebrews (coughs) chapter 10. Good luck finding that one. Um, I even bent the page so that I wouldn't get... It's on on page um, 8, 843. What's that? It's on page 843 of... uh, of the Green Bible. Um, and if you can't find it, just turn to page 843 of your Bible and do your best. Um, verse 24. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Again, that's 1024. Not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. So what Paul's basically doing here is he's saying, you know, life is getting hard, judgment is coming, and I don't think he's threatening church attendance with, you know, like hell. What he's saying is, life is difficult, and it only gets worse, and we need each other's encouragement. So do not, I mean, that's the word of God. Do not give up on meeting together. Older translations say, do not forsake the assembly. Meaning make church attendance very important. Because when you're not here, this is less. And I'm just not talking numerically, that's obvious. I'm talking spiritually, according to scripture, this is less when you're not here. I remember a couple years ago, uh, my, my family, the, the big day is Christmas Day for my extended family, and it's like the big family get-together at my mom and dad's house. And my uncle, who is like the, the social patriarch of the family, got the flu and he couldn't make it. I was like, oh man, what are we going to do? And then the next year, my cousin and her husband, and my cousin's like a social center of the family, they flew to Vegas on Christmas because the flights were cheaper. And, I mean, you know, that's great. We weren't mad at them or anything. They have the right to do that. But it's like our gathering was less because they weren't there. And so what I want you to know, even if you don't feel connected, biblically speaking, this place is less. And our family, our temple, this temple is less when you're not here. So I hope that you'll be intentional 
with your decision. Now, we're going to talk about in a couple minutes. There are times when I think you should not come. And I mean that. And we'll talk. You, and I'm not just talking when you have the flu. But be intentional because it's important. Now, the other thing, real quick here, the, the, this, this, the idea of, of uh, leaving the church. And this is fairly new, uh, you know, with the start of denominations. Now there's a church on every corner. In Paul's day, you couldn't really leave the church and go to a different flavor. It wasn't like a restaurant where you got tired of one or got in a you know, bad service, uh, or, or, you know, and you just went to the next restaurant or you go to the next church because all there was was the church in Corinth. So you were stuck, very much like a family, right? Not always happy, but you're kind of stuck, and so you work it out because you have to. But that's God's dream. And I want you to know, and again, I don't, have, I don't know of anybody ready to leave Polaris, so this isn't directed at anybody, and I mean that. Decision to leave a church for whatever reason is very, very painful for the people that stay. I mean, I, I've known, you know, groups of people leave the church, single families leave the church, and there are some of us that still carry wounds, still trying to get over families that have left. So it's not just about you and your family making a decision. It's about us. And the Bible says, Jesus says, when you have a problem, you work it out. And when you feel like you're not growing... That's on you. You don't outsource your growth. We're here to help and encourage each other, but don't use those things as excuses to leave because your decision to be a part of something that is bigger than yourself, because that's the real story here, is this thing that you're a part of is bigger than you and bigger than your family, and you're sucked in. So your decision to come, to stay, attendance, matters now last point oh we got all kinds of time (coughs) um there's a oneness that comes from being the temple that comes from togetherness but there's also a radical change here in the concept temples For the Corinthians who didn't grow up in Jewish life, they grew up in pagan worship. It was still, and and particularly um, it was Aphrodite, uh, was like the the, the big time goddess of Corinth. And that temple was the landmark. It's where you went, social center. It's where you went to get in touch with the goddess Aphrodite. In Jewish world, in Jerusalem, stood the temple, which was a magnificent structure. And every Jew would go there to worship, to sacrifice, to find forgiveness, to connect with God, to live in community. It was the center. And they were structure-centric experiences of God. So what Paul does here is a big deal when he says, Now you are the temple. And so it's not about a cinema. It's not about 3289 Laurel Road. It's about us. John chapter 4. This is a radical teaching from Jesus. 
one of these years, we, and I said this before, we, we need to walk through the book of John because the, the stories of, of Jesus and his miracles and his teachings are, are just profound. <coughs> Jesus is talking to a Samaritan woman who's been pretty much rejected by her society. 742, verse 19. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. So the Samaritans had their mountain, their central focus of worship. Likely there would have been probably an altar set up by one of the patriarchs of the faith. And that's where they went to worship. You would go there to that spot to connect with God and then you would leave that spot and go on with your life now for the Jew it was Jerusalem and the Samaritans weren't really welcomed in Jerusalem they would go to the temple they would offer their sacrifice and gain their forgiveness and worship God and then they would leave and go on to their life and so she's saying that's the kind of worship I know Jesus says woman Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on that mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit. And his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. (coughs) So Jesus says back then, a time is coming when this will not be a building or structure-centric relationship with God. Rather, it's church on the move. It's among the people. The Spirit of God has gone from the building to the people. And so while it's a big deal that we're together, we need to realize that it's much bigger than this because now the temple is scattered. The temple is scattered into every workplace, every hospital, every playgroup, every neighborhood, every church, every school. The temple is now wherever God's followers are and it's not about coming here and then going out to your life it's about being the temple so the temple holy a place where you experience god a place where people find forgiveness a place where people find community that's your identity that's my identity that's our collective identity and what we need to think through is are we really taking the temple with us as we go Or are we still thinking about the temple being this cinema? Or our car? Wherever we are compartmentalizing our faith. And so if people saw the temple as a place of community and a place of acceptance, a place of forgiveness, a place of connection with God, we need to think through our family in our neighborhoods. If you're single, you need to think through your presence in your neighborhoods or your work. 
Would people look at you or your family and say, man, the presence of God is all over that. Or I can find forgiveness and acceptance there. Or I can feel genuine community when their family is around. That's what it means to be the temple. And Jesus doesn't say if you want to be, or Paul doesn't say if you want to be the temple. He says you are the temple. Whether we like it or not, whether we know it about or not, that's our identity. So you have to answer that and I have to answer that. Are we being that place and presence of God where we go? Is there an expectation from people, I'm going to be touched by God when I'm with them? Now, this is where I want to go back to the church attendance thing. And again, this is also nothing new. Since we are the temple in our neighborhood and in our friendships, we need to remember that this is on mission, meaning God has things he needs for us to do, showing the presence and love of God all around us. That's why the temple's scattered now, not only so we can have a relationship with God everywhere we go, but also instead of people having to come here to find Jesus, he goes to them through us. That's why, because you are the temple. If you're at an outdoor fire this summer, I can't wait. If you're at an outdoor fire and it's a Saturday night and you're with people who are far from Jesus and you're being the presence of Jesus, I'm not talking about being all preachy. I'm just saying you're connecting, you're investing. It's kind of like you have to invest in the relationship before you can invite into your lifestyle or into your church. And if you're investing or inviting in those relationships and it's 11 o'clock, Don't go in because you have to get up for church the next day. Think about staying there and continuing to invest and love and connect and build those relationships. And if you sleep in through church because you were up investing in those friendships and being the presence of Jesus in your neighborhood, I believe that is completely okay. I think God may want you to do that. Now, this is, a, this is not an excuse to have four more beers and tell dirty jokes <laughs> into the a.m. because you're being Jesus to your community and skipping church in the morning because you're hungover. That's, that's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying if you are on mission as the temple in your neighborhood, I think that is just as important as making sure you get to church on Sunday. Um, The other time is, in order to build up your family, there may be Sunday mornings when you're just trashed. Maybe you've had a week where you were all fighting, and you just need to take Sunday morning and cook a big breakfast and read Scripture together and pray together and talk about Jesus and talk about how much you love each other and and minister to your family around the breakfast table. And I think that those might be the moments that, like, if you have children— they may remember those Jesus experiences even more than church. So if on occasion you got to do that, roll with it. I think it's important. But understand that Scripture, Word of God says, don't forsake the assembly. Don't discontinue meeting together. Make it a priority. All right. Closing. Oneness and out-thereness. The oneness 
I hope you will take this serious and invest in the oneness of this community. Our little temple, the temple of God together. Patrick talked about small groups. Um, man, I, I know that some of you are involved in small groups here, and, 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 I, and I mean this. We could have a long line of people come up to this stage and talk about the difference Christian community has made in their life. I mean, seriously, we could talk for another hour, just people telling their stories of that. And I can tell you, you know, not only my small group, I got a couple of guys that, that I get with at Wings once a month or so. And in the community that I have there, uh, the trust, the accountability, the love shared, it's a big deal. And if you don't have that in your life, you are missing out. And so if you're interested in taking that step, really want to encourage you to email that groups at Polaris or, or find Leanne Beckwer. Is this Leanne? There's Leanne right there. Talk with her. She oversees our group life. And, and I, take a step. Or maybe regular church attendance is your first step toward this, but you are as involved as you want, and I believe with all my heart that Polaris is an easy church to get connected with, and I've seen lifelong relationships develop time after time um, here, and I really want you to think about that. And then the out-there-ness. Maybe you don't often think about the fact that you are the temple wherever you go. You are the presence of God wherever you go. You are the connection with God, the community of God, wherever you go. We are with you wherever you go. And be intentional about delivering on that identity. All right, we're going to have one last uh, prayer time, one last worship song. And if you're new, basically what happens here is just if you could just stand. I'll miss that. <laughs> um, during this last song, if there's anything you need to pray about, uh, job, health, family, marriage, neighbor, in-law trouble, whatever, we're going to be down here waiting for you. We'll pray with you um, about anything. You just come up during this song, and, and we'll pray. I'm going to pray, and then we'll sing one last song. God, thank you for, uh, for your vision for us to be one with each other and one with you. Thank you for the gift of, of, of Christian fellowship, friendship, community, connection, shared love, unity. Please help us to break down any walls or any barriers and engage to the fullest level. And please show us how we can be your temple in the places that you've called us to outside of these walls. In Jesus' name, amen.